0: Hey, this is Kyle Turner, the lead pastor of Hillsong, Kansas City. Welcome to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you, encourages you, and most importantly, helps you get closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Good to see you all in church. Hey, can we greet the plaza right now? Those online, Lansing Correctional, everywhere you might be watching this. It's good to have you tuning in, and we believe you guys got something great. Let me just say this. My pastor's heart is very grateful. Uh, It is a holiday weekend and you are in church. I don't think that gives you special privileges in heaven, but you definitely have a special place in your pastor's heart. Uh, It means a lot to not just be talking to the camera, but I got a room full of people. We got the plaza. Hey, those online, we still love you a lot and we're glad you're blah, blah, blah. It's great. But uh, is that like being in the room and worshiping together, amen? Hey, you can grab your seats. We are in a series, because it is, well, just dealing with light issues like anxiety and depression, you know, just real surface level stuff. No, we're digging deep into the dilemmas and the delinquencies of our soul, because we believe you cannot be spiritually mature and still remain emotionally immature. That you can know all the scripture and you can be raised up in God's house and get all the Christian catchphrases of what you're supposed to be able to say or what you're supposed to say in the moment. But if there's a delinquency in your inside world, it is derailing your destiny more than you know. God cares about your soul health, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And man, coming out of an unbelievable year of adversity. Uh, Every one of us have some delinquencies on the inside or maybe just the pressure of this last season or the pandemic has just exposed some of the the fractures in your heart and soul. And we believe God wants to get to work in those places. God wants to restore. God wants to renew. God wants to redeem. God wants us stronger today. And if we don't deal with some of our yesterday or deal with some of our inner problems or drama, it, it truly can derail destiny, and that's not the plan of heaven for your life. Amen? Um, it is a one-year anniversary of this last week of the killing of George Floyd. Uh, sometimes it feels like a month ago. Sometimes it feels like a decade ago. Um, it brought to the surface the pain and the injustices, the heartaches, and with it, all sorts of conflict, all sorts Of chaos, But in the midst of that, I am very proud of a church that stayed leaning into the conversation. Uh, I don't know why there seemed to be such a divide on the situation, except that people love to hold on to preconceived ideas. And yet, um, I love that we are leaning in. And there was conversations from this platform and in our church and small groups and one-on-ones and messages to the whole church family. Uh, Just what does it mean to really be a healer? To be a restorer, to walk with people in empathy and understanding in places where we might have passed judgment before. How can we not miss this moment or let this moment pass us by, but truly let God do an inner work? In fact, Hillsong Church here in Kansas City and globally, we are leaning into more empathy and more justice and more understanding than ever before. In fact, Liz and I were on a three-hour training. In conversation with every Hillsong lead pastor around the globe, how many know it's difficult to set up a Zoom call with all sorts of different nations getting on the right time zone? And we figured it all out, and we had a credible conversation. How we can be bridge builders and barrier breakers, so that we can build churches in our city that look like our city. Now let's keep leaning in. Because in all the conflict and the confusion and the chaos, it can be so easy to just stay at odds or in isolation and heartache, and yet the Bible calls us, as believers, to carry the spirit of reconciliation. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about how we deal with conflict. This message is not on race, in fact, it probably impact your marriage more than anything, Really, it's gonna impact all of your relationships. It's just how do we handle conflict? Because people either love to fight it out to get their own way, or people run away from the issues. And when we run away, or when we stuff down conflict and crisis in our life, it will come back to the surface. In fact, that's what we've seen in this last year is that the pressure and the pain and the heartaches from the pandemic and the injustice and the problems and the politics of our nation have brought to the surface broken places of our heart and our soul. This is why we're doing this series as we're coming out of this pandemic, just to make sure that it is as well in our soul as we pretend like it is in our outside world, that our mental health and our emotional health and our hearts are getting healing. The truth is that conflict has a cost and peace has a price. Uh, I was reminded of this, in fact, of all weeks, this week I traveled, came home, and as uh, we were getting off the airplane, they let us know that, hey, let's just pause for a moment before we exit, because the color guard was there, and they were taking the remains of a fallen soldier back to their family, and it was a moment of like, of all weeks, a Memorial Day, uh, Memorial Weekend approaching, just came to a reminder, just the, the cost of conflict, And just gave me a moment, just a reminder of the gratitude we should have for those that have paid the price and uh, those that have given their all uh, to make sure that we have this place of peace. Now, we're not on a battlefield, but all of us have battles in our field of work, battles in our family, crisis and, and conflicts in our life and in our world. Some of them go back generations and God wants to get to work on that. And some of them we're in right now, a current crisis or a conflict. Again, there's a cost in conflict and there's a price for peace. And I want to encourage you to be willing to lean into the conversation today to get peace. Understanding God's path forward for you because you will not have a life free of conflict. Conflict cannot be avoided. Jesus said, you're going to have issues. You're going to have problems. You're going to have crisis. But be of good cheer. I've already overcome this world. He's given us a way through his word, how to live established in peace and how to work out problems with other people. What we cannot do is what has existed in this world. practically the last four years or so, it's really risen to the surface is we have a, a cancel culture that if anybody does anything out of alignment, one group or people will cancel them forever. Okay, and I understand that some of the things that people do are unbelievable and undeniably wrong. Uh, I do think the church, uh, evangelical Christians, uh, we maybe invented cancel culture, trying to cancel out people for all the things that they did wrong. Uh, now we're experiencing it in our own life and world, but we don't cancel. You can't cancel conflict because conflict actually can add value. It actually can show us a better way. We get understanding. Doesn't mean we just let people do whatever they want to do. But we cannot cancel conflict. Because if we do, we, we cancel the opportunity for unity. We, we cancel learning and discovering maybe just someone's vantage point. Whether you agree with it completely or not, we can't cancel relationships over a single crisis. We have to learn to even linger in the middle place. To learn and to grow and to establish and build a bridge, not a breaking of a relationship, but a bridge that gives us a place of growth and it brings the best out of relationships. So can you join me on this journey today as we tackle conflict and crisis? And uh, Normally holiday weekends are pretty quiet. Everyone's wishing they were at the lake or somewhere else. So it's a holiday weekend. I need it to be a holiday weekend. I need a little feedback <laughs> in church. Uh, Because what we're digging into is deep, but it doesn't have to be scary or intimidating. God's word has so much to say about dealing with crisis and conflict in our relationships. And in fact, I was in preparation for this. I actually, I prepared, I had 29 pages of notes this week. I promise you, I will not preach all 20. I whittled it down to about 13, but uh, I'm gonna need your help today, so let's lean in. I wanna speak today about conflict, confrontation, and coming back together. How do we come back together when there's been a conflict? Can you pray? Come on, Plaza, let's pray. North location, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for your ways. They are so much better, higher, and above our ways, and yet you've called us to live by your grace and by the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. We can live on your level of understanding and seeing this world the way that you see it. But as I dig into the scripture today, I, I believe your Holy Spirit's gonna dig into hearts. Maybe unearthing some places of pain, isolation, and insecurity when it comes to broken relationships or broken ways of doing relationships. So, God, I thank you. You're the ultimate healer and the comforter. And you will lead us forward with truth and grace, working together so that our relationships can work the way that you want. Lord, I speak over a, a marriages in particular. That people have just gotten used to living in conflict. Living in Disagreement. Lord, I thank you that we're going to find that place, that sweet spot of understanding and growth like only you can do. You keep making us better and making us more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I read an article this week. Uh, It was titled, Forgiveness, Your Health Depends on It. Um, It sounds like something you would read from Chicken Soup for the Soul. Uh, It was actually from Johns Hopkins' website. In other words, science is coming to the understanding that relationship breakdown has a a, a ramification, not, not just for your relational world, but for your real life, for your even physical body. That there's trauma from broken relationships. We don't know how to understand or come back together or forgive. It costs us even physically. Now, there is times for breakups And for boundaries. And we will touch on that later in this series. But I wanna speak particularly, I believe, to marriages and and to people. Maybe you can use this in your work or in your your daily life and, and dealing with your friends or your siblings. How do we not push away someone when there's a place of pain, but how do we stay in a place? of learning, of understanding, of grace so that we can experience peace and so that we can get better in this place of coming back together. You know, the top thing I think people come and talk to me about when they they set up a meeting with me is normally about the will of God. Is this God's will for my life or how do I know if this job, this career, this relationship is right? But a close second, in fact, I think it's almost surpassing the first point is people wanting to know how to work through a problem with another person. And I think I love that we have a church that is engaging and not just running away in living in isolation. No, but we're living in community and and, and we want to know how do I carefully navigate places of pain or where there's been a schism or a breakdown? How do I navigate reconciliation in relationship? The Bible has a whole lot to say about it. Uh, But first and foremost, we need to know why do we war with each other? Why do is there so much division within people and even within church within marriages James chapter 4 James the, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem Jesus's brother he is a straight shooter and he says this what causes fights and quarrels among you You need to know that even though we're reading this 2000 years later primarily this went out to the whole church but this was for the church In Jerusalem that he pastored first and foremost. Uh, He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within? We're always talking about outward actions, words, and behaviors, but he says all of that starts in your inside world. You desire what you don't have, so you kill. Okay, James is using extreme language here. I don't believe the first century church was murdering each other. But he uses that intense language because he wants to know, hey, what you're doing is like you're killing each other. You're in crisis and in conflict and confrontation with each other. And you're just killing relationships. You're just canceling people. He says you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you're looking for people to fulfill God issues. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't always receive because you ask with wrong motives. you ask for, with selfish motives. In other words, everything is about you, it says Hesley, so you could spend on what you get just on your own pleasure. It says so you kill. And again, they're not, they're not killing each other physically, but they're killing each other relationally. They're slandering each other. They're gossiping about each other. Back in that first century world, they didn't have a credit system like we did. It it was a relational economy. And if someone trashed you and word got around the people would quit working with you or helping you, you would be in isolation. In fact, it was so much more detrimental. So he says, hey, you're quarreling, you're fighting, you're slandering, you're gossiping. Why? Because there's something inside of you that's gone unmet, 1900 years before modern psychology understood, stood the impact of emotions on the brain and on the life and on relationship before uh, uh, we understood how societies and groups interact. The Holy Spirit went to work through James and gave him some wisdom on letting us know where conflict starts. It is not an outward thing, or it's not even what someone says. That is a revealing of a heart thing, something going on the inside. He says these desires that battle within you. I think you could label that deep insecurity. That a lot of conflict comes from insecurity. In your marriage, you, you lash out at your spouse because you don't feel like you're going to get what you really want. He says also it's because you covet in other words, just unfulfillment in your inside world. I'm fighting with other people because this is the only way I feel like I can get fulfillment for the things that I want. And sadly, 2,000 years later, this is still prevalent in church. If you want to know how to do conflict in church, Jesus teaches us in Matthew 18. He says, first and foremost, go right to the person in private. Let them know the wrong that you might have with them and give them a chance to make it right. If they still want to stay in a sin or not admit, admit what they did, go get someone else. And you don't get someone else who's just on your side. Get two other people, one or two other people that see it and can come and and, 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 and listen to the issues so that you can work it out. Thirdly, if they still don't understand what happened, bring the church leadership in But never once does he say, hey, um, go tell everybody else about the issue. He doesn't say, hey, blast them on Instagram or Facebook. That will feel better for a moment, but you're going to live fractured for the rest of time. He says, no, go to them personally. And a lot of times that's the last thing that we want to do. And James is saying, hey, you got to understand there's an insecurity in you. There is an unfulfillment in you. This is what causes our fighting and our battles. It's not that they just grew up a different way. It's that you feel there's something in you that's getting wronged or heartache. And it's causing church family, it's causing there to be a lack of blessing in relationship. God wants to bless church family. God wants to bless your family. And when we learn how to understand and walk through crisis and conflict and confrontation, when we learn to come back together in a place called unity, Psalms 133, God says God commands a blessing there. And so when families are fighting, our church families are fractured, we miss out on the blessing or the best of heaven in our lives and in our worlds. When my kids fight, I, I, I just don't allow it. I don't allow it to linger. How many of you had siblings growing up? How many of the oldest in your family. Come on, the oldest, right? You had all the answers, all the solutions. You were mom or dad number two. How many are the youngest? I'm the youngest. Barely, barely parented at all. Mom and dad were exhausted by the time they got to me, just gave up, and the other siblings couldn't stand it. How many are a middle child? I just want to tell you right now Jesus knows your name. Your parents forgot it, no one else knows, but. But Jesus knows. We have these conflicts in family. My kids have conflict. They have conflict all the time. Uh, Not the baby. She's just one. But my seven and my nine-year-old, they, I know all you see on the Instagram is just this peaceful, cute little family cheesing at the pictures. But hey, there's tears. There's heartache. There's battle over toys or what we're going to watch on TV. It happens all the time. But I don't allow it. I don't allow it uh, because in my place of leadership in the family, Liz and I work together to establish peace because we want them to be relationally strong with siblings for the rest of their lives. And so when they're fighting, when they're at each other, I make them apologize when they don't want to say, I'm sorry. Say you're sorry to your sister. Graham sometimes will be like, I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> you get one of those. Then I make them hug. If that doesn't work. Uh, I make them kiss each other on the cheek. Graham hates that one. But I just make them stay in a place of connection until they get over the conflict. In the same way, God wants for our family. Our Heavenly Father wants for us, whether it's in our marriages, or or it's in our our connect groups, or or it's in someone you serve with at church, someone you work with, someone in your own family. He wants you to stay in the place of connection even when there's a tension and we are not barrier builders, we are bridge builders so that we can gain understanding, so that we can grow even through the problems. That's what it says in Matthew chapter five. Jesus, in this amazing message he gives on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. In other words, when you are a peacemaker, It's a, you get the moniker of a son and daughter of God. Heavenly father wants his kids to work out issues, to make peace. And it says, that's a a way you will know that I'm your dad, like you're children of God. It's a big deal to your heavenly father and a major derailment to your soul when you avoid conflict. Or you even live in conflict and don't know how to make peace. James chapter 3, James says here, And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and will reap a harvest of righteousness. One of the most important skills you will ever come to grow into in your emotional health and relational strength is how to resolve conflict. It is very rarely taught normally it's usually caught by your family of origin. You normally mimic the way your parents worked or did not work things out, or, or you go the exact opposite way because the way they did it was such a derailment to your heart and your life. We have emotionally stunted families and parents, leave emotionally wounded kids, and it carries on for generations. I can see it even in my own family. Uh, I could see it, uh, my grandfather, the way he interacted with my father. I think my dad, man, he, he lived all in for God. I know my parents are always watching. Love you very much. Got better. And I think he set me up in a place that through the word of God, the grace of God, I'm getting better. And I want to make sure that I pass on to my son one day, as he's a father, as he's a husband one day, that he gets better. And I will say, if you never face the crisis or the conflict that's existed, and I'm not saying you have to go back and make everything right with your family. We'll talk about that. And when we talk about boundaries, but I'm just saying, if you never address it with God and the Holy Spirit and get a new way through the word, you're going to carry and add those wounds generationally to others. People normally run away or they fire away. I like boxing. I like boxing maybe too much. I've never boxed a moment in my life, but I am really good at Mike Tyson's punch out on the Nintendo Entertainment System. But the kind of boxers I don't like are the ones that are always defensive. Now, they are ones that win more often than not. But I like I like I like to see people just square off and go out. In fact, we have a society that loves to see fights. They love to see conflict. They just don't ever want to get in one themselves. And we got to realize that, hey, we, we, we are in an arena, a ring or an arena where there's going to be conflict and there's going to be consequences to that conflict. And we don't need to get defensive all the time. No, do we don't really need to be overly aggressive. We do not need to run away or flee and we don't need to fire away. Your brain, your brain works in a way, even chemically. God wired us to, for survival, the amygdala in your brain triggers that brainstem of yours to either fight or flight or freeze. Uh, in other words, you either run away or you attack the issue or the the, 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 crisis that you're facing, the dilemma that's come your way, or you freeze like a deer in the headlights. It tells you like what to do. But the thing is we don't have to live that way in every sort of crisis or conflict because there's a better way we can live by the power of the Holy Spirit. They can alert us when you want to run away from an issue with your spouse. No, you need to stay in that place and work it out. When you want to fight to get your way or to be right, no, you need to learn to stay in that place and to listen about maybe what you could have done differently and learn with the spirit of humility. And when you freeze and don't know what to say, God wants to help you in that place and get you unstuck in that place so you can walk into a season of more fulfillment in your relationships. When it comes to fight or flight there's normally avoiders and agitators and they normally marry each other (laughs) opposites attract and I think God I'll touch on it later did that on purpose but we normally avoid or we agitate intentionally to get our way and we normally marry each other but in the opportunity of the adversity in fact Albert Einstein says in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity in other words, what you see as a problem or a pain point is an opportunity for peace and a pathway forward. Because conflict avoided all the time is opportunity lost. There is something to learn. Even when you feel like you've been wrong, there is something to learn from that person, from your spouse, or maybe how you could handle it differently, how you can grow. And when we walk in conflict resolution, God's way and God's plan. We can live with satisfied souls and we can get better together and we can experience the blessing of unity, not uniformity. We don't have to agree about everything, but the blessing of unity that flows in this place when we're not in contention all the time, but our character is being developed as God is working some things out in us because we are peacemakers. And when we are peacemakers, we're called children of God. There's a blessing attached to being a peacemaker. Peacemaking is not avoiding and it's not appeasing. It's not avoiding problems, and it's not appeasing a person just to keep the peace. When you're appeasing, that's codependency. You want to give them their way all the way because you just don't want to disrupt the issue. But not only are you living with a dissatisfied soul that will eventually come up and spring out of your life. And when you appease on little things over time, something big is going to come and happen over time. But, but no, nor are you giving that spouse or that person you work with or that sibling in your life an opportunity for them to grow as well. I looked at the list to this week of all the wars still going on. And there's way more conflicts in the world than I even recognize. They're not making headline news like, like Israel and, and Palestine did a, a, a week ago. Um, a lot of them aren't making news, but they've been going on for 50, 60, some 80 years generations at war with tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of casualties. We live in a world that is filled with conflict and it's costing people literal lives. But if your world is filled with conflict and you don't know how to walk it out in God's way, in God's plan, it's costing you the real life, the satisfied life that Jesus has come to give you. Here's what you need to understand about conflict. It's a big soul problem because unresolved conflict hinders heaven from working in your world. Unresolved conflict, when there's what the Bible calls strife, it hinders heaven from working in your world. The Bible is very clear. First John chapter 4, verse 20. Anyone could say, I love God, yet have hatred towards another believer. This makes him a phony. Because if you don't love a brother or sister whom you can't see, how can you truly love God whom you can't see? Now, when you see that word hate, immediately you can could, you could disqualify yourself. But that word in the Greek is meseo. It just means to love less or to esteem less. Sure, it can mean hate or animosity towards someone. But it could also mean just to esteem less. In other words, I think less of them. And the Bible says, hey if you can't work it out with people, heaven is not going to go to work in your world. You can't be right with God and wrong with others at the same time. In fact, the best part of your life happens in the intersection of the vertical relationship with God and the horizontal, the relationships here on the earth. At that crossroads is where real life happens. And some of us, we feel like we got it going on great with God, but what we're really normally have is a lot of bible knowledge because when we really have it going right with god we have a right spirit in our heart and then we're able to walk through difficult situations and dilemmas with people and keep moving on to destiny even when there's conflict the bible says that conflict puts your par- your prayers on pause it, it, it like closes the door of heaven from hearing you first peter three says that it's actually talking to husbands it's like if we don't handle or love or serve our wives well. It will hinder your prayers from being heard. How many know conflict is a big deal? Conflict is never resolved accidentally. Time does not heal all things. Yeah, sometimes you can just get over it and get on with it. It's just an emotion you have in a moment. But how many know if you got a cold and you don't deal with it, it can become pneumonia? And pneumonia can develop into something so so much more severe. Even the smallest cut, if undealt with, can become infected. It can even cost you your life. Time doesn't heal all wounds. And maybe you forget about it, but if you haven't dealt with some of the fractures and conflict in your inside world, there's still a wound there. And wounded people wound others. Hurt people hurt others. So we need to get to the heart of the issue and let the healer come in and get to work. A lot of times we don't want to be exposed, so we run and we hide. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, the original sin, that pride that they wanted to be like God and know the things of God. They did the one thing God told them not to do, and God came looking for them. How many know God loves to come? Even when there's been division, we have a God that comes and chases after us, and God's like, Adam, where are you? And God knows exactly where Adam is. He's just wanting him to admit that there's been a separation. And Adam says, man, I heard you in the garden, but I ran hid. I was I felt naked. I felt exposed and I felt ashamed. And a lot of times I think, guys, we still do this. Every time we feel like we're going to be exposed. Anytime maybe we, we, we don't know how to handle an emotion or an issue. Uh, we, we're afraid of vulnerability. So we get distant and defensive. You need God's courage to deal with conflict. And we can find God's courage. 2 Timothy 1 says, this is where your courage comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. God has not given us a spirit of intimidation or timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. That's what the Holy Spirit brings to the equation in your inside world. He gives you power to deal with issues that you used to run away from, to make progress in places of pain. He gives you love, a love that is sacrificial, a love that accepts people, a love that that stays and gives people maybe even the benefit of the doubt so you can work out the barriers that have happened between you and a sound mind. In other words, he can keep you stable even in a situation that seems critical or costly You don't have to run away from the fear of vulnerability anymore. No, no, no. The spirit of God on the inside of you, it makes you powerful. Get some steel in your spine to maybe step into a situation you used to be intimidated and run away from. It gives you love more than enough that you feel satisfied. So you don't go to war, like James was saying, and kill or covet or hurt other people. Because you've already been accepted in your inside world. you got love. And then it gives me a sound mind. I can stay in a conversation even when there's intimidation. I don't think we'll address uh, the issues that we're facing or the crisis that we're in until the love of God in us is greater than the hurt or fear we feel within us. We allow the love of God to get to work. 1 John 4, his perfect love, it casts out all fear. Romans 12, verse 17 and 18, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. As much as is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Now, right there, it's not always possible because the person on the other end of this breakdown in relationship might not be willing to get in conversation. But up to you, the part that's up to you, you got to do your part. The Bible says with God, all things are possible to him that believes, but we could still go First. As much as possible, as far as it depends on you, you've got to be a leader and you've got to do your own part. So how do we handle conflict? Let me give you some real, real, like specific, helpful, practical instructions. The first thing you need to do when you're in conflict with someone else is what I call set the table. You need to set up a time, a place, and a space when you're at your best and they're at their best. It's not a home court advantage. No, it is a place to have a conversation one-on-one. That's what Jesus teaches in Matthew 18. The first step is to go one on one, and you need to be the initiator. And it doesn't make you more spiritual than them. It might make you a little more humble than them, but you are hungry for healing and restoration in the relationship. You're choosing to get over the offense or the obstacle, or maybe something that you feel God's working in you that you did against them. That's why Jesus also says that you need to go at once when you realize there's something that you may have done that offended someone else. In other words, don't put it off too long. Go in and address, set the table. In other words, give a a reservation, make a reservation and extend an invitation to end the confrontation. Come on, that's good preaching right there. Okay, that should be a quote later that you Instagram out or we're going to have conflict. I love that David says in the Psalms, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, when I'm in animosity, even with my spouse or or someone that I care about, my family or coworker, now God can give me an inside peace. The shepherd can lead me to a place in here where I can set a table, even in the presence of enemies. I can sit down. I can be quiet. I can speak. I can listen. We might disagree, but we're going to work through this delinquency in the relationship together. You guys get anything out of this today? I set a sit-down meeting when I have a confrontation or problem with someone. I don't do it in a drive-by in the hallway. Just throw a bomb at someone and run the other way says in the Bible, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Ephesians four, that's where we get this verse. I like this translation. It says, be angry without sinning. Okay. Something boils your blood. It's okay to, to unpack it, walk through it with the Holy spirit. You can do that without sin, without going into rage, without getting into hatred. It says, don't go to bed angry. Don't go to bed angry. Now it doesn't say don't go to bed or let the sun go down without dealing with every problem you have with people. It's actually starting with you first. You don't go to bed angry. In other words, you work it out with God. It's not that you have to call up everybody. And In fact, husbands and wives, if you're in a dilemma or in a fight and you're sitting there in bed and you're so mad at each other for something or you're festering on something that was said or not said or done or not done, it doesn't say you got to turn and address it immediately before the sun goes down. No, it says don't go to bed angry. In other words that's what's going on inside of you because once you settle your soul in here then you can serve then you can hear then you can love then you can walk in humility in that relationship whether it's in the morning or a week from now you've just addressed that anger issue in you we do it at the right time the right place the right space and then we pray particularly when you're with believers you pray before the meeting even with them and don't pray some haughty prayer like, Lord, help them see the ways where they have hindered me. God, I thank you that you investigate their heart and their soul and expose their sin in Jesus' name. No, you come together and say, God, would you help us? I've got a conflict with my brother and my sister, with my wife. We need your help. Help me hear well. Help me go to work on what I need to work on. Would you just come and help us? There's something that just gets diffused when you invite the divine in. God is so willing and wanting because he wants your life blessed. He wants your marriages fulfilled. He wants your future filled with healing and restoration. So he loves to get to work in these awkward moments and situations. I think you need to come in positive. Highlight the things that are going well. And don't hide over the issue that didn't go well. Become solution focused. Not ready to fix blame on someone, but just to fix the problem was. I think. Secondly, if we set the table, we got to own the origin. Like we got to own what part did we have to play in this? In fact, you should come in saying, "Hey, I felt like you did this to me, and this is the way I felt. Did I do something to you? Uh, did, did, were you having a bad day, or or did I have have have, have I not helped or served, or what, what what did I do? And don't say what did I do to get no Just like, hey, can you shine some light on your perspective? What you'll find is a place of peace when we get both perspectives at work. Start with owning your own mess, own the origin, because every one of us has blind spots, sometimes generational blind spots. Jesus says that in Matthew 7, also in the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, deal with the speck in your own eye before you go, or the log in your own eye, excuse me, before you go to poke out the speck or the splinter in your enemy's eye. Deal with your own issues first this is humility and never ruin a good apology with a cheap excuse just say "Uh, ah there might be a real reason why you did it but don't start with the excuse start with the I'm sorry start with what did I do Uh, would you forgive me and then if there's an opportunity to share hey I was having this kind of day and it's right nothing to do with you I mean, I grew up in a family. This is the way we always handle things. And I now see as God's doing a work in me. That this isn't the right way. This isn't the God way. This isn't the best way. I love what Winston Churchill said. Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak, but courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. We need a whole lot more sitting down and listening than rising up and posting, running around and gossiping, leaning in and slandering. We need the courage to sit down And to listen. I'll give you three verses really quickly that will help you get the right heart and the right response when it comes to restoration. Proverbs 18, before honor is humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think verse 13 is even more powerful. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. James 1, verse 19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Proverbs 15.1, respond gently when you are confronted and you'll diffuse the rage of another. Respond with sharp, cutting words. It will only make it worse. They say the number one reason for divorce is unreconcilable differences, incompatibility. I think it's all made up by divorce lawyers (laughs) because every one of us in some way, we're not compatible in every area of our life. Unreconciled differences has nothing to do with incompatibility. It has everything to do with immaturity and inflexibility. We've never let God grow us up. We're still living with the wounds in our soul from our families of origin. Uh, Immaturity. Inflexibility. I'm not willing to lean. I'm not willing to sit and to listen or to learn. Uh, Liz and I are so Completely opposite in so many ways. She's leaning in right now in the plaza and she's probably giving a big amen. I am so different than her. And if we would allow our differences to be divided and let strife in, if I would have gone into isolation or in insecurity, I would have lashed out or passive aggressive. And we've worked through a lot. we got more to work through. But think about how much better we are together. And this is why agitators and avoiders normally get married. Because it is the opposite in them that you're drawn to. And I do think God works this way because the Bible says two are now one. And where I do things differently, she does things differently. But now we come into agreement and unity and understanding we're better together. We, we can help more people together. If we would allow our differences to divide us and maybe even cancel out a marriage how much of our calling would have been canceled out? That's not just because we're pastors. Because mom and dad, you're the pastors of your home. Dad, you're the lead the home. Think about when we allow these things to divide. Think about the generational pain and problems that come from that. In other words, destinies get derailed when we decide to stay distant and we don't learn to come back together. Fences will come, Jesus says. Conflict is inevitable, but guess what, combat is optional. You get to choose how you're gonna fight. If we're gonna fight things out, we're gonna do it fair. We're gonna do the God way. We're gonna have the courage to sit down and to listen. I love that differences in marriage, when we work this thing out, it, could be, it gives us more potential to grow and mature into greater places of calling. We have to learn to consider where they are coming from. It's heart of empathy and understanding. We weren't with them with everything that's ever happened to them. We didn't grow up in their family. We don't know what kind of weak, kind of life they're having. That's why Philippians 2, verse 4 and 5 is so powerful. Each of you should look not only to your own interests. Hey, it's okay to, 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 to have things that you love and desire. That's great. But let's also look to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same, that of Christ Jesus. Jesus who was willing to die for people. Lay down his life for people so they could experience life what are we after we're after reconciliation not resolution this is really important we want to resolve some issues but reconciliation is choosing to come together and stay in relationship or connection resolution is that we're solving everything don't come into an argument or a dispute or a problem and set the table and listen and learn to try to figure out every fracture in your heart and soul and life, because you'll never come into full agreement about everything. But what we want is this place of reconnection. We, we don't need resolution on everything. We need reconciliation. We're gonna stay an established relationship so we can keep moving forward. Because if we're going to get everything figured out before we keep taking steps into our life, our calling, our destiny, our future, whether it's with a spouse or a friend, we're going to be in this moment forever and we're never going to move forward. What we're going to do is we're going to deal with the one issue or maybe the two things that have been plaguing us or the problems and then we're gonna start walking together. We're gonna to deal with others, other things as they come, but we're not gonna to try to fix every problem in one moment. We are here to build bridges, not barriers. There are no perfect people. There are big problems and people with big hang-ups, and there's nothing too great for your God that he cannot heal, that he cannot restore, and he cannot redeem. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace lovers. Everybody loves peace. You want perfect peace? You're going to have to buy an island and live by yourself. Because as long as you're around people and you cannot fulfill destiny apart from people, if you want your own little peaceful church, just go study the Bible by yourself. Never talk to another Christian. Never serve anybody. Never sacrifice for anybody else. And you'll have your own little life. And what an empty life it will be. But when we learn... How to live in the midst of conflict, still caring, still loving, still serving, still walking things out. We don't have to agree about everything, but the main thing is we're going to have unity. We're going to fight for the right fight fights the fights to produce peace. We're not going to run away from our problems. No, we're going to sit at the table. We're going to work things out in our marriages. Guess what? We're going to have generational blessing on this house, on your life, on your kids, on your children's children, and the future even here in Kansas City, something beautiful God is building when we're looking to deal with the stuff going on in our hearts and our soul. First Timothy 2, I'm done. There is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and people. He is Jesus Christ. If you have not established a relationship with Jesus, we're going to give you the opportunity of that in a moment. Until you got that right, the reconciler at work, getting you right with God, you'll never be right with people. He's the only one that can really heal and restore us all. Hate and hurt grows in hiding. Do not stay hidden. And choosing to stay hurt, it costs you more than you know. I realize this is a deep message. I tried to liven it up with as much passion as I could. The truth is, there's some really delinquent relationships in the room, watching online. some real broken places in many of our lives. And all I'm asking you, the one step I'm asking you, I think God's asking of you, is to let Him in to investigate you. And then when we have that love of God at work, then we're able, then we're able to bridge broken places, broken relationships Handle conversations that are crucial for calling, crucial for our connecting, get res- restoration, get healing, conflict and confrontation, and the best thing is coming back together. When we choose to do that, we will be better in our future. On the plaza up north, can you stand on your feet? I want to pray for you. Then we're going to take a moment to worship. I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but I do want you to lift your heart up to God. The moment when we worship, I believe God's going to do a re- reeling work and a healing work. Before we do that, I just want to pray that in that place of pain, that relationship of struggle for you, that, that spirit of peace we've learned in Second 2 Timothy, gives you power, love, and a sound mind will show up strong in your inside world, in your heart, your mind, and your soul. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for everyone here, everyone listening, everyone watching. God, I thank you that you are the great reconciler. While we could not save ourselves, you came and were our savior. You're the one and only mediator that makes us right with God, and then helps us make us be right with people. But we are not running away from the issues that we're facing. We are running after you. We are waiting on you. We're letting you fill us up. But we do not want to fight just to be right. We wanna fight for the future you have for us. I'm praying particularly for marriages right here in the room, on the plaza, and in our church, those watching online, that we will not allow the attack of the enemy, the divisiveness of the enemy to separate us any longer, but we're coming back together stronger than ever for brokenness in families, for fractures in friendships. God, I thank you. You're working in us first, and then you're giving us the wisdom, the discernment, and the grace to work it out with others. Where there's been strife, and confusion, where there's been frustration and fighting, I speak peace. Blessed are the peacemakers because we belong to God. So God, go to work. We need you more than ever. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.